Koningstein Road in the east to Casitas Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hello everyone, I'm Brett Bradigan, editor of Your Ojai Magazines, the quarterly and monthly. This episode, we go deep into Ojai's roots with Julie Tumame Stensley, the Shumash Elder. Julie talks to us about Ojai's first residence and their distinct culture and the lessons they hold for us today. We also talk about a lot of other things, including less happy topics like genocide and the climate crisis. It's an important conversation though, and we hope you'll come away with it for an appreciation for Ojai and all the wonders contained within this precious valley. Hey, Julie, thanks for joining me. It's great to see you. Well, woya, woya. Thank yeah. you, thank you. It's been a long time since I've uh, been able to get see my friends and neighbors and everybody out here. So this is a big treat for me to have you here because, you know, I've known you since I moved here. We were on the mm-hmm. museum board together. That's right. And I remember one of the most charming things I've seen meeting you was the summer camp you used to do behind the museum for the kids and teach them, you know, the life ways and everything. It was really, really amazing. Well, thank you. I enjoy working with the kids. That program came as a result of the programs we did at the Ventura Museum. And um, those those started like back in the mid-80s. And oh, really? my Aunt Bertha was a docent there. And then when my father started getting out into cultural uh presentation she said Vince get over here I need your help and as he passed away I started joining over there with her my all three of my kids grew up in the camp and even my last one was like two weeks later after the camp he was born I mean he was like really a part of that camp it's like no traditional birthing practices here please they're telling him hey Aaron wait but um, yeah no they're they're a fabulous way of for me to be able to reach out to anybody. I mean, I would love to do them for adults as well, not just kids, because it touches really all the senses when you actually get to work. Tactile, yeah, especially. Yeah, and, and eye-hand coordination, all those things. So we will be doing one in August with the music festivals. Oh, nice. Because I've been working with them. I, there's a video on their website of me doing storytelling and music, and then they're going to just do a step further and bring the kids to Zarazoti won't be at the museum. So that'll be announced pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, really fun. Yeah. So you mentioned your father. Uh, he was a very influential man in Ojai. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about him? Well, he was nearly full-blood Chumash, uh, Vincent Tum- James Tumamayat. His father, Cecilio uh, Tumamayat, they were raised and born and raised in uh, Ventura down on the west end of the avenue. He married, uh, Cecilio married Maria Barrios, Grandma Mary. She was half Chumash. So both my father's parents were Chumash. Uh, His father's father, all pure bloodline from his father back to the generations from Santa Cruz Island, Limu. And then my grandmother, her father was from Sonora, Mexico. On her mother's side, coming from Santa Rosa Island, Wima, both those two families crossed onto the mainland ones from Santa Cruz went to Malibu. The ones from Santa Rosa went to Carpinteria, Mishnopshnow, which is now the state beach. And they oh. went north up to San Luis Obispo County into Cuyama Valley. 
So we have oh, this ancestry on both sides circ circumventing our territory, yeah. coming down Highway 33 and settling into villages all throughout the region. Wow. We go back, we can trace back seven, eight generations. That's amazing. And, so the, you know, through baptism you records. You are a townie in the best sense of the word. <laughs> yeah, our, our villages here is the one that we know of, and it is through those baptism records that Matilha, which is right at the base of 33. Matilha is what we say today, but Matilha means division. It's where those oh, canyons separate. the parting separate, of the waters? Or the road, the trail yeah. from one mountain range to another. Okay. So it's right there. And so growing up in Miner's Oaks, my dad moved us into Ojai around 1951. We were, we were part of that community down in the river bottom, just right on that road going into Land Conservancy property. Uh, and Ma Meyer Road. Myers Road. Yeah. And it was later, much later, as I started my journey, that I learned that we were playing in the same river as our great-great-grandmother, sure. Maria uh, Ricarda. Um, her native name was Alula Mewe, one who drags her feet. <laughs> really? What, is there a significance to that? People weren't named like we name people today, like Morning Dove or you know Flying yeah. Eagle. or No, it was a descriptive name. Yeah. Our name, Tumamayat, uh, belonged to our great-grandfather, Juan de Jesus. He was baptized with that Spanish name in 1811. I'm not sure that that was his birth date, though. It might have been later on. As he became a captain during the, as an adult in the mission period. An alcalde. Yeah, an alcalde. Uh, his parents died when he was a young boy, one right after the other. So he was adopted and taken care of by his grandparents. So Tumamayat means an orphan, one who was raised by his grandparents and learned to carry things on his back. Wow, there, so that's they're a all lot this, of definition in that name. There's one name. It's a not lot of a, cultural baggage, you might say. Well, it, to me, I take that name, the last part of it, of carrying things on the back. Because both of them, um, Juan de Jesus was a general contractor, and he helped build the Olivas Adobe. Cecilio oh, nice. helped him, and they also raised crops for the mission, for the church. Yeah. And um, my, great, my grandfather, Cecilio, was an, a social advocate. And so I take the social advocacy and the environmental advocacy and using that term of carrying things on the back. <laughs> the traditions and the cultural folkways yeah. and uh, keep the lineage alive. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So my kids are a mixture of different bloods, but, you know, they've been coming with me for so many, um, since they're young, young babies. Yeah. So it's in them, whatever they want to do and, and yeah. what excels them. And that you might find that they can't wait to get away from Ojai, like my kids. <laughs> but now when they get older themselves and start having kids, then all of a sudden they, that all that those lessons start to come back and they'll want to impart that to their children. Sure. Too. Yeah. And once you leave the valley, it's really, really hard to come back. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't well, go any to get I, price wise. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, we, we, we bought into the community of Miners Oaks in 94. We can't afford to move anywhere else in this yeah, valley. With that. what, even though our house is priced as, as it is now, um, very fortunate, very fortunate that I do have that stability there. I love, I love Miners Oaks. Yeah. A little too. sleepy town that awakens. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. It's, uh, it's own kind of like, I guess they, you know, I think of like Soho and York back in the 19 mm. mid to late 70s where mm. the real estate prices are at a point where the artists and the creators and the people can afford to get in mm -hmm. and then it creates the flourishing 
artistic environment and becomes much more vibrant. And mm -hmm. I get that feeling from Miner's Oaks, much more so than I do like the East End or mm -hmm. downtown mm -hmm. even. And you know, we're right by, we're only a couple blocks from the Ventura River there off of Rice the, Road. The swimming hole. Yeah, and the swimming hole. We used to go, we're growing down in the river bottom. That's all we did was play out in the dirt yeah, and go to sure. hikes in the river and to check, we sneak into the check dam swimming out there <laughs> oh yeah a lot yeah the fishing the, mm -hmm. oh, the yeah. bass you know they're not not big but you can catch a lot of them there mm -hmm. well my dad taught i'm the youngest of seven i have three brothers and three sisters oh, wow. i'm and five my, of six uh, yeah <laughs> i'm just writing about birth order i think uh, it's like yeah. very mm -hmm. important how yeah well i was a baby the of the world. family yeah. i was being called by my brother's friends baby julie till i was 18. then i gave <laughs> a look and they said oh you don't like that no <laughs> But my father taught him how to hunt and fish, and we, yeah. being such a big family, we needed that that yeah, extra, extra food protein. coming in. Yeah, sure. deer, rabbit, quail, the real rainbow trout, native trout, and and yeah. plus he loved going out on the pier, fishing off the off the pier. Oh yeah, too. well you don't even have to have a license. I don't know if people know you can just go down and fish yeah. off the pier. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you know, once in a while you'll see people catch a big old guitar fish or mm -hmm. sand shark or something. Be like, mm -hmm. and I've heard tell you know halibuts. You can catch a halibut off sometimes. that pier sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we grew up next to. I grew up across the the Cattaraugus Indian Reservation, oh. the Senecas. They're okay. very proud people because mm -hmm. they never got budged in the Trail of Tears. Oh. They just said. Yeah. You know, old Andy Jackson, you want to get us out of here, you mm -hmm. come come get us, you know. <laughs> Molan Labe, come get us. So, uh, they, you know, the, the Allegheny Mountains mm -hmm. were behind us, so they retreat back in there, and there was no way they were going to get them out of there. So in 1840, 1842 or something, Chief Corn Planter mm -hmm. forced them to sign a treaty, which gave yeah. them that land. Of course, they've been yeah. chiseling away at it ever yeah, since. Yeah, chopping away at that, yeah. yeah. But... Yeah. Uh, we got money. We got our last land grant payment in 1968 or seven. Dad had our dad had registered us through the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and um, so as a young girl, I got almost like 700 bucks, and he just which let me have it. Which was a fortune, man. Which probably. was a fortune, yeah. yeah. And he just let us have it and spend it however we wanted. Yeah. Uh, but then they said that's the last thing we're giving you. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, my brother Patrick and I got to go on full scholarships because we're our lineage our degree of blood being federally recognized you know they they want to know your blood quantum they yeah. register it by half quarter thirty it's like seconds. a relic from the uh you know it's oh, like wow <laughs> but because we were just under a half and we had that ethnographic history which some native peoples who don't have that kind of rude they like call us people who appear in the history books as the shoe-ins Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a little jealousy thing going yeah. on. But, I mean, so we, we took advantage of it. I mean, I didn't finish. Um, I went to Ventura College for a summer and then transferred out to UCSB for a couple of years. But, you know, out of the seven of us, we were the only two to graduate high school and go to higher education. So it was really hard. There was no one in the home teaching us to yeah, better ourselves modeling. in that education. Yeah. It's like my dad and you know, my oldest brother, Vincent, Said I, I took the you know eighth grade so many times I could teach it. Dad, I just want to go to work. Okay, she goes all right, Mijo, just go go. Yeah. You could go go to work. So you know, not we were the only two, and I loved it. I loved it out at UCSB. It's a beautiful campus. It was a great experience, but yeah. academically, whew, that was that was tough. Yeah. I like to see things. 
Uh, the work I do now just filters into so many learning experiences, the archaeological work that we're doing, yeah. cultural resource management and stuff. I don't care, you know, that I don't know anything. Both my father and I, when we started this journey, we made a pact. We're not going to make anything up and we won't lie. It's not our fault. We don't know it. It's true. That's a really sad point that, you know, the book you mentioned, American Genocide, I yes. devoured that book. Yeah. Um, 1846 to 1873. And I know I've t talked briefly about, to you some other time, about the um, Tabata Label Band mm -hmm. and the federal acknowledgement journey mm -hmm. to become a federal acknowledged tribe, which didn't happen. It's like yeah. almost 40 years. No, 1987. I did the historical portion. It was like 20 pages of research. Yeah. And what happened was there were, you know, 2,000 or so of the... Tabata Label Band registered in the Kern Valley. An 1860 census, 1870 census over those 10 years, well, the Whiskey Flat Massacre of 1863, mm -hmm. um, the, the Indian or the uh, Indian agents tried to force them out into the Owens River Valley, uh, all this stuff going on, smallpox. Even measles, there was no oh, yeah. immunity to measles to take out yeah. a third of them. It's mm -hmm. terrible. Yeah. Like even the, you know, the genocide with the military arms was horrifying enough. But it was like these villages were laid waste before even any white men showed up because the diseases were spreading through. It's just a horrible situation. And just so, look what's happening now. It's yeah. hitting everybody of every race and yeah, economic, and social. coming out. It's, uh, I, I think about that and I, I think about my family's after mission period and through those diseases, including gonorrhea, syphilis, all that too, yeah. that happened with them to the point of 90% of our population devastated and gone. Yeah, I know in American Genocide, they estimated the population of California, the native population before the Spanish showed up at 310,000, which is... You know, a lot less than it is now, but it's a thriving population. They, you know, lived lives of abundance. Yes. And then, uh, you know, well, you know, you you can't you can't change history. You can only learn, hopefully, from hopefully it. Hopefully, learn from it. Yeah. Uh, we had traditionally seven thousand square miles of territory from those borders of the Kern San Joaquin Valley, all the way to the um, kind of you know. Not quite the western part of San Luis Obispo County, but like midway, we share with the yeah. Salinians and um, and Costanoans, and then to the south, the Tatavion Gabrielino people, and we have the Four Channel Islands, and we're reduced to our own, you know, property that we were fortunate enough to be able to work and buy, yeah. and then we we currently uh, have six acres in the town of Satakoy. Oh, that's like uh, as, a rancheria? As, no, it, well, it was the old settlement of Satkoi, uh, where the okay. people were there. The property was um, worked by the Vanoni family. And then as the family started passing on, Leo Vanoni sold a lot of the property to developers. So they, they had a, um, it's right across the street from the golf course that's right there. Oh, on yeah, telephone I know road. where that is. They have a veteran's home now, and then just up above, there's an archstone uh, condominiums, like 400 condominiums. They created an easement because they were right in the archaeological site. So they had done the archaeological phase three, 
and they created a six acre easement. So I, I applied for that as I, we had already started our nonprofit group, the Barbarino Ventureño Band of Mission Indians. And uh, the gal I was talking with said, well, we're not going to give it to a family or an individual. It has to be a nonprofit. Raise my hand. I got yeah. a nonprofit. <laughs> so we petitioned the city for it. And we got it. And uh, but it's uh, there's just it's hard to get things moving. It's still empty, still an empty lot. What do you um, have planned? I, the plans and the proposal were for tribal library, a culture like a cultural center, uh, outdoor native gardens. But I'm only one person. Yeah. And I need, and, and this is a. I don't want to go there. We could spend the rest of our time talking, talking about, about engaging yeah. people. So it's been difficult. If you figure it out, let me know. I I'd will really be interested. I, will. <laughs> There's a lot I of said people at love least to talk. It, yeah, when you know, it comes the very to going least. to committee meetings and writing papers <laughs> and filing and showing up for public hearings and yeah, yeah. wow, that's the hard part. That's where yes. the rubber hits the road. Organizing. Yeah. 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 But yeah, the um Tabata Labos did get a cultural center mm-hmm. and um not you know the rancherias that they're hoping. They did have a couple of white blanket rancheria and some of those. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're never going to get federal acknowledgement. That's just not And that's happen. too bad. You know, I know the criteria has <clears throat> changed. Uh, our purpose of banding together was for the purpose of federal recognition. And part of me personally really don't need the federal rec- process to tell me I'm Native American. Yeah. There are, the, there are the benefits of, you know, our free education that we received. We don't have blood quantum uh, for our proof of identity. It's going back to mission records. If you can substantiate your family lineage to descendants pre-mission through those records, then, then you're, you're, in. you're in. It doesn't matter how much blood quantum yeah. you hold. And my reasoning for wanting that federal recognition is that that the, the grants, like right now with all the water issues, there's a lot of grants out there for Sorting restoration. And, and oh, it's Putting okay. it back in the recharge. And yeah. yeah. Just having that opportunity to do that. I know that what, when I was going through this, federal acknowledgement process, the most frustrating part was they require you to prove continuity from one stage to another. Yes. But you had these 300 and some thousand gold rush people, the 49ers and the 50s and the 51ers and all through that came through California and just, just, there's no continuity, just complete discontinue American genocide. Yeah. There's no way. And even if there were bands of Indians that were trying to keep their cultural identity that didn't get shipped off to the schools, yeah. they weren't, you know, them getting together in groups or gatherings was going to be suspicious and just cause trouble. So what they did, they kept to themselves. There's no public record of that. Mm-mm. So trying to prove from, you know, basically 1846 or whatever, whenever the Americans came in to 1930 or something was when they started up, you know, the gatherings yeah. and the, yeah. you know, the cultural events. There's nothing in there because well, they didn't want but, people to know. But here's here's the thing. If you pay a lawyer who does federal recognition process enough money, that language can cre- be created as to tell the government why there is no continuity in the social, political, or religious. For us, being Mission Indians, uh, that language is crystal clear. I mean, yeah. you know, you were, you were alienated from other family members if you practice that heathen idolatry. 
uh, yeah. to get work, they would hire the Mexicans and not the Indians. My father actually used to have to change his name from the native name to Mamayat to Lopez to oh, work. Really? You didn't want to utter a whole lot of knowledge about your Indianness to people because you were, again, you were ostracized, you were, you know, looked at and ridiculed even within your own family, yeah. you know, genetics there. And the better Catholic you were, then you're safe. You They yeah. just had to play it safe. Yeah, and that's the tragedy. Try to prove continuity in the face of all the cultural pressures against yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so, I mean, here in Ojai, uh, my father moved us here in, 90, in 80, sorry, in 1951. I was born in 1956. What? Yeah. You're kidding me. <laughs> I'm old. No, yeah. I would have guessed you're a bit younger than me, but anyway. No, nope. So, you know, it, growing up here... Um, it wasn't real easy. You know, we, or, or, I was the only Indian in the family. I don't know how that worked. Everybody just kind of left to everything to me. But I did, I did. Because I was just, that a way for, to, for you to bond with your father? You know what? My mother and father were not actually together in those times of me growing up. Yeah. And then my mother left and they divorced. And then my dad got stuck with the five of us that were still underage. And he moved us into Ojai, straightened up. You know, started he had re, uh, was working at Shell Oil for 30 years. He retired from there, and then from there, these two uh, men in Ojai, Michael Ward, who's now a, a professor of um, uh, at Ventura College and Northridge College, and Clarence Sterling, who's no longer with oh, us. Oh, I remember, you remember Clarence Sterling, yeah, sure. Yeah, Carrie. They they all went around. They went around to everywhere to any organizations. Daddy became the Paha, which is someone who does invocations. And the, he did beautiful storytelling and music. They even created some of the uh, melodies for songs that were just written in a book. So, hmm. and that was like in about 1986, I believe. And then when he passed, we had done programs together. There were times when we would be doing storytelling, like at a Malibu State Park, and we're singing the coyote story. And at the end of the coyote song uh, that we sang, we would howl. Well, the, the coyotes howled back, oh, blew everybody's <laughs> mind. It was great. Said, so, oh, they love it. They have such a big ego. Oh, tell me more about my eyes. Oh. You know, so, you know, we, we did a lot of work together. And then in 1992, at the age of 72, he passed away very suddenly. Oh. Heart attack, gone. So he was born in 1920. So he was born in 1919. Same, or 19. My yeah. dad was born in 1920. Yeah. So, so his legacy is still with me. His spirit is still with me, and at some point in time, an elder, Lakota elder, Mela Whitefeather, she told me, um, she saw me in my regalia, and she says, oh, baby girl, your daddy knew you were the one. And I uh -oh. said, what? She goes, yeah, remember we worked at Tony's? I go, yeah. We had an Indian store out here at one time. He goes, yeah, she goes, that's the one. That's the one who's going to pass it on. So uh -oh. he never told me that, but I knew he supported me. Yeah. We just had such a good time together. It's exhausting doing the things that we do. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of preparation. It takes a lot of thinking. And then afterwards, when we do programs, I mean, we spend all that energy and our, you know, the, the adrenaline that comes at you when you're doing programs. And nobody wants to ask questions. If then you're done and you want to go home. Here's where now everybody wants to <laughs> come yeah. in and spend. And it's okay. I mean, I don't mind it. But, you know, those kind of things are, are fun. I love being with the kids. We both love being with kids. 
because those are the ones who absorb it. I don't care if Absolutely. they remember my name. I just want them to know that that's an oak tree. That is our breathing buddy. And we need to plant more of those and get yeah. this world back into its natural state. And um, and I've, I've heard kids at museums, oh, remember that Indian lady? Look, she showed us one of these. And he uh, remembered. He told his mom the whole story about it. Well, she was like, wow. He's, he's yeah. telling her. That's like a big he's moment teaching. for a kid. Oh, heck yeah. So, you know, these these are teachings that if you're going to be, I think it's really important that if you want to know about Native people and Native culture, learn the landscape. Yeah. Because here in Ojai, when they called it Shangri-La, they weren't kidding. Because yeah. we still have everybody and everything just about here. Um, it's just the way that we dismiss them nowadays. Yeah. Where in the old times, they were relatives. And when people talk about sustainability, the reason why they go to native cultures is because we've never left. We yeah. may not know everything, but we still have that genetic tie to this land. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, I know you've talked to our Rotary Club and mm -hmm. um, you've talked at the museum about the sort of the folkways. But one of the fascinating things that you talked about was the use of fire mm -hmm. in Shumas culture for land management and yes. so forth. What? Because what are the lessons of, for that, for us today? How could it be more relevant? Well, when the colonization of Native people started in the Americas, so did the colonization of the land. We lost all of our, almost all our land to agriculture, big ag, big farming, ranching. And uh, Fernando Tico, who we have the road named after him, he yeah. was in Ventura. Isn't Susie Arce at Tico? Yes, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he was grant deeded 17,000 acres of the Ojai Valley. He came to Ojai, he and his wife. His wife was pregnant at the time, and she couldn't stand it here. There's nobody around. They were both afraid of the Native peoples here. This was in like 1837 Somewhere or around something. there, yeah. yeah. It was really early, early. And she went to Santa Barbara. She goes, I, they were already more sophisticated out there. Yeah. This was like the Netherlands. <laughs> it was like nobody here. Yeah. So he was afraid of the native peoples too because as a sheriff in Ventura, he was responsible for doling out the punishments. So now he finds himself here in Ojai alone. <laughs> He's oh like, my. Long so, memories. Yeah, and long memories. So as a result, there's not that many native families here in Ojai. There's only my family and the Lopez family uh, that are, and there's only a few of them left and in the valley. And he's a famous cowboy, right? He was, yeah. Dan. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, they had an exhibit at the museum a few mm -hmm. years about the old yeah. Rancho families. Yeah. And Dan Lopez had all the saddles and yes, uh -huh. prodeo prizes great. and everything. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, this, this um, you know, coming back and, and coming around full circle to, you know, how special... Ojai is and and when people come here, you know, to, to appreciate what's here first. I mean, now that we're involved in the cultural resources, it took, it took us three and a half years to have the city put something in writing within the city boundaries to protect the archaeology here. Not only prehistoric, but historic archaeology. And where we're watching and overseeing some of the development, because as soon as people come into town and want to purchase, the first thing they do is demolish. Isn't that the irony, though? People come here for a very specific magnetism or pull mm -hmm. about how beautiful this place is, and then they turn it into something else. They want what they left. Some all of a version sudden, of what they quiet. left behind, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, what are so, our slogans? Enjoy the Ojai Valley slowly. 
and there's yeah. nothing keep to do. Ojai lame. Or keep Ohio lame. Keep Ohio lame. I like that I one. That. And then the other one is there's nothing to do in Ohio and not enough time to do it all in. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. I like that one. Yeah. So, you know, we're 10 minutes from the forest, Los Padres Forest. We are surrounded by these beautiful mountains that if people were to, you know, invest a little bit and take inventory of their properties, they would see they have food, they have culture there, they have the natural um, fauna and flora there with the animals. And it is a quiet place. It is a place of retreat. It is a place of, you know, you just let all that other stuff out there go and just be, just, you know. Yeah. And nobody wants, and so what I say is that every people you can tell who's not going to stay within five years, it's like a revolving door yep. that it spits people out. <laughs> if you're here it over does. 10 years, then you're going to stay. Yeah. You know, there's, I've there's seen a lifespan here. So many times these people come in and they have all these ideas about what mm -hmm. Ojai needs and yeah, how to yeah, fix yeah. Ojai. Yeah. And then the spirit, we've opened these portals here. Hiroji, yeah. my, my Shinto friend, we've done ceremonies here. And we have opened up these portals to li be listening to, you know, putting them to work, as Hiroji puts it, as he's in ceremony and the Japanese tradition and, and vibration, scolding the deities. And I said, ooh, Hiroji, is that a good idea to scold the, the <laughs> yeah, deities? Waiting for the clouds to form and the lightning bolts. To... <laughs> and he goes, yes, because you have to put them to work. It's not about praying. And I go, well, you know, I would, I would, I would do both. I mean, I would yeah. gently ask because you think about their culture. Everything is done with with permission. Here, nobody culture? wants. Yeah, well, in in, Jap in Japan, most almost yeah. everybody has so an altar in a, yeah. a portal that you know protects their homes. Yeah. Here, we don't ask permission, and it's such a interesting. You know, place where people, well, I paid money for this place. Well, yeah, but there's a vibration here that's long before you. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I just want to say that why wouldn't you? Just why wouldn't you? Just say thank you. Introduce yourself. When we do ceremony, yeah. I have people say their names because I want that vibration of who they're genetically connected to in another land to introduce themselves here for the, you know, 200 years or plus since mission period. And until we started coming out and doing, singing our songs, making our offerings, gifting the land, it hadn't seen it. You're yeah. back. Where, you here's our gift. Oh, yeah. You're, here's our gifts. You know, oh, there's, you're, you're recognizing us again. And, you know, it, it, it is something that um, people like woo-woo and, you know, oh, they're so weirdos and <laughs> oh, high school, all those weirdo people, tree huggers and all that. I would rather hug a tree than put my finger around a trigger of a gun, yeah. you know, and it's like an in, in, in arm all bears. <laughs> <laughs> As we had that tragic, you know, incident in 2009 where that With poor bear Elliot only, bear. only wanted to come oh, in to get a goodness. drink of water. Yeah, That's that was so sad. Yeah. And that was a big old bear. He's like 500-some pounds. Somewhere around there. It was so sad that they kept swearing they weren't going to let it die. And they did. Yeah. You and know, and bears they, are always going to As soon as they got everybody in. cleared mm -hmm. out, yep. there's a tree just like a block away from here. Big old crowd of people. Yep. People were keeping an eye on that bear. Yeah, we Trying were. to protect them. Yeah. Fish and game cleared everybody out, and then they topped them. You know, in, cere in ceremony, bear is very honored in our culture. The Upper Valley of Ojai is known. There's a bear shrine mountain 
where ceremonies were held up there. The men donned the bear skins and it helped them travel down Denison Grade to visit women and people here at Matilha. Oh. Well, the energy of bear medicine is an intuitive medicine. It's a power. Like people go, oh, they're going to attack. It's up on two legs. No, a bear gets up on two legs because it can. Yeah. <laughs> it's looking around, it's, checking things out. Yeah, it gets out. a better perspective. Yeah. So, you know, to, to work in bear medicine means that you're going to learn your own heart and your own medicine there so that you can learn the hearts of others. It's a protector, and it does has that, that girth, you know, that people see bear, and it's like, wow. And it doesn't... I don't feel that bear is out there to look to kill. We are not prey. It, would, it loves your loves your orchards, loves the trash cans that you don't keep. Loves locked, avocados. Loves the avocados, and and you know it's it's and we're losing we're losing our bears we're losing our mountain lions and our coyotes. Oh, before we get off of bears, I do mm -hmm. want to go back to coyotes. But you were on the cover of the magazine, one of my favorite covers. <laughs> with my bearskin. <laughs> with your bearskin background. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure there's a story to that bearskin. Well, that bearskin was given to me by a Cherokee elder, Colita Axe. And she's very, she doesn't live here in the valley anymore. But uh, she was running Sweat Lodge with permission because there's a word people don't understand when doing medicine in, in native lands. And that's to ask. Go to the elder, and if you don't know the elder, ask people who the elder is of the land. Present, you know, the re a gift, a request, and we talk about it. What are you doing? Sweat lodge for people here. It's so cliche, and it's yeah. you're not supposed to be paying for sweat lodges, people. Not even yeah, wood. That's how it's you a know given medicine. it's not genuine. <laughs> if you're, there's a price tag. But you know, she came to me, and she only worked with veterans veteran women or men that were in the military and it was only I'm only a by only Six by years of Air Force 1979 yeah. 1985 so only through invitation were they uh, allowed to come into the sweat but she had she was blown out of her pony in Iraq and couldn't walk from you couldn't use her legs oh. she can now she's gone through operations and stuff but she moved she moved up north but anyway she presented me with the bear after um, Sue White Sunayat Set, which is his Chumash name, which means very respected bear, but oh. Elliot is his other name. Uh, we, I called upon people I had met and known from Northern California, Limor, and they do bear dance ceremonies. Now, the bear dance ceremonies are done at night with the drums and fire, and it's a purging ceremony. Hmm. So I called upon those people. They had already put the bears to sleep because it was fall. But when they heard my story, they said, we're coming. So at Casa de la Luna in Miners Oaks, 300 people gathered in that October night. And you got to dance with, I think there were seven or eight different men of different sizes donning these bear skins. Oh. And, and you gave them your sadness. You gave them all that negativity that had to happened purge. here. To pur and they purged it out to the land. So at the end of that ceremony, it was a four or fire round dance. Um, the person, Henry Ortega, who, who I invited out, he goes, okay, so when do you want us back next year? I went, what? I said, this is a four-year commitment. I went, wow, okay. <laughs> so some people came all four years. Other people stepped in and out. And at one point, the first one, someone came to me and they said, Julie, am I watching 
men dance or am I watching bears dance? Yeah. I said, you tell me. Yeah. And she goes, I think I'm watching bears dance. Because <laughs> there is for those second that you are with that energy and that, that medicine. That spirit. Oh, yeah. man, it, they were fabulous. I, it was a lot of work bringing them in. I would love to do it again in a more open, natural setting where we could make all the noise we wanted yeah. because the drums seemed to travel and they called the police on us. Oh, and the, I, What do the cops say when they show up? Oh, for... Well, I walk up and they say, Julie, the cops are here. I went, what? So I walk up and they said, hello, ma'am, are you in charge here? And I said, do you see those bears dancing in that circle? <laughs> They're in charge. Yeah. Well, neighbors are complaining that the drums are a little loud. I went, are you kidding me? I said, I think they're almost done because we were about three quarters into it. Yeah. So I go over, I tell them, I said, you know, the neighbors are complaining that the drum's too loud. So they all looked at each other. They all nodded at me. And then they turned up their drumsticks <laughs> <laughs> and proceeded with a, a heavier bang. A little more bang. determination. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, if you've never been to any, we go to Zuni Pueblo a lot. And we stay about 40 miles outside of the Pueblo in a little town called Rama. And oh, sure. You I know, know Rama? Rama? Yeah, I love it out there. So we get invited, and, and as long as we sit in the back, we can be in these ceremonies. It's usually at the end of the year when they're calling in the rain. They don't irrigate. They don't yeah, water. Yeah, it's all dry lands, farming. And beans. they call in the rain. And after you're done seeing these, you know, some of the Pueblo feast days that they have, where, oh man, it's just incredible what you leave after being in those ancient situations. Some of my correlations in the teachings that I do is that I love to learn other traditional Indo-European winter solstice ceremonies where the native people, I mean, the, uh, we were all indigenous at one time. So those indigenous peoples there, certain plants are primary and feature all around the world. Mugwort is one of them. Hmm. In the ceremonial fire, these people would weave and braid a belt out of mugwort and tie it around their waist, and they would jump back and forth over the fire pit. And then at one point, when I guess they're done, their intentions, whatever it is they want to release, they untie that belt and throw it into the fire, purging. Oh, wow. So that uh, fire and dancing and yeah. ceremony, that's but, all. But, you know, big... the fire is the most, I, I feel water's my element. We yeah. all are born of certain elements. So some people are fire, and it's not astrologically Or either. it sounds Ayurvedic. Yeah, that too. There, many yeah. people have that. The Dagara Nation in uh, South Africa, the year you were born signifies what element. So mine is water, the year I was born, and I don't know the other ones. But anyway, we all have a, a bit of all that in us. But fire for the Chumash people and all, everybody, no matter where you're at, you, you some Plants are fire chasers. Phacelia is one of my favorite. It's a little tiny uh, lavender petal flower. Oh, and you sure. make honey from it. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful flower. During Woolsey Fire, post-Woolsey Fire, the hills of uh, Mulholland with covered yeah. with them. The, the the deer grass, which some of the, the, we have deer grass in our native garden here in Ojai, they were used for the foundations and basketry. And the way to get them to grow hardier and faster is to add ash to the to the plant and, yeah. it, and it gives and it they're nutrients. an annual grass so they're going to get grass, choked yeah. out by the perennials by the chaparral eventually yeah. it's a way to clear <clears throat> uh the the land of 
one, two to three hundred year old oak trees so that the five, six, seven hundred year oak trees flourish. Yeah. It's a way to uh, just clear out all the dead uh, because these plants have such deep roots that we don't want to replant. When the fires of Thomas came out here, we had all this tamarisk and, and arundo and other non-native plants that just added fodder to, yeah, to fuel fire, to fuel. fires. So like these stuff. plants are established for that type of stuff. Other cultures would, would actually start the fires and use the f- tail feathers of a blue heron as to, to fan, to fan it, fan the flames. Oh, wow. and, um, and so, you know, again, sometimes those got out of control too, but, you know, they had to make do. Uh, yeah. Water was not a source that you could go put it out. You just had well, to let it burn. I think and the chaparral ecology evolves for these lower intensity, more frequent mm-hmm. fires. Like every, you know, eight, ten, twelve years, mm-hmm. certain patches are going to burn instead of mm-hmm. the fuel building up to where you have these catastrophic fires every forty yeah. or fifty years. And I used to remember in Ohio that we used to have the controlled burns. Yeah. Every well, year. Well, the problem Almost with controlled year. burns is that people complain. I know. Yeah. That's what. And now, and what, look what happened. I mean, now look at the complaints they when have we, when they burned down the half of Ventura. When we, uh, our tribal group, worked on the fire debris cleanup crews, we went with them because within that structure of of bringing people in, fish and wildlife, uh, botanist, archaeologists, we were there. Um, like for instance, in the Thomas fire, we didn't get in at the very beginning. Uh, but from the upper valley all the way to 150, we were working in a district of eight recorded sites, and we discovered eight more, being able to uh, go on private that you properties didn't even know. that we didn't even know were there. And way were up high. Village way up high. sites or they were, well, ceremonial they, sites? And... Mostly probably manufacturing sites. Oh, for like Temporary napping. camping, flint napping, um, gathering plants and plant materials and things like that way up on top of uh, Chismahu. that The Chismahu Mountain is where, in our creation story, is where the Rainbow Bridge connected when oh, Hutash wow. created us on Limu and then had us cross over as we got too crowded on the islands. So we're, you know, we're at the top of some of those hills on the north side of the freeway looking down at villages at the Rincon, and you know people were up there because we're finding things. Yeah. And they were on foot. You talked about the tomol, you know, that the, was... The uh, canoes, which are yeah. made out of planks, which mm-hmm. imagine the manufacturing skill to make planks oh, without yeah. power tools. Mm-hmm. Using a, a whale whale bones as ades, you know, where you could just oh, shape yeah. them. Shave them down. There were pits of lime that they would make like a kiln, and they would put the planks inside there as they were still fresh and weighed them down so that oh, they curved shape and shape them. Yeah. In Ventura, there's places where they had these little I imagine those tumbles were, you know, lasted generations. Yeah. I imagine that. There was, any, were any intact of any survived? You know what, there, but they were really like in the late 1800s ones around Ventura. They used to hide them in these little groves of like cattails or tule grass yeah. and kind of hide them in there. But um, I don't, I haven't in all the archaeology that I've done ever seen any um, plank Extent. or parts yeah. of them. There was a real tragic accident um, at around those late 1800s where 10 tomals were ordered to go out to Santa Rosa Island or San Miguel Island to pick up the last of the native peoples. The church in Santa Barbara mission ordered them to go out. The people knew there was two things to watch and observe. 
If there were clouds over Anacapa Island, they knew a storm was coming in. If it was Santa, um, was, um, Santa Cruz or Santa Cruz? No, Santa, Santa uh, Anacapa Island. Um, what is the other peak here in Santa Barbara by San Inez? I can't think of the name. Uh, Figueroa Mountain. Oh, yeah. If there were clouds over that, they didn't go out. And they knew that October was not a good out, good time to go out. They just knew something drastic was going to happen, but they couldn't be disobedient. So they go out, they go to San Miguel, and it's really hard to launch over there. Well, San Miguel's like it's, four or five, I mean, hours in a powerboat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> ways out there, yeah. So on the way back, though, a storm did ensue, and only one Tomo made it back. Oh. Everybody died. It's tragic. And, you know, again, people don't believe in that kind of stuff, but, you know, we're we're... People had to be observant here on everything. Yeah. The animals, what are the animals doing? I started watching, I think I told you that story about watching the oaks back in 2004. And they were everywhere in the valley, early August, dropping. And they were almost four inches in length. They were huge. And for me, it just hit me like, it's going to rain. And we got, yeah. what, 76, 8 inches in yeah, 2005? Yeah, we got Hawaii levels of rain, <laughs> yeah, and it washed yeah. out the roads. So yes. I think the Every road was blocked. was, yeah, for Everyone. like three months. Mm -hmm. It's really Yeah, so, you know, we're watching these things. We're, we're listening, and that's where we talk about that relationship of with nature. To the weathermen, there's a story about where they go into the caves and they take the Datura, the Momoi, and they're talking with the upper sky people because they're playing a gambling game. Yeah. The ante is rain. And so whoever won in that team would either, the weatherman could predict, but I think they're, you know, who's if it's going to be drought or plentiful. But I think they're also observing the natural world. Because when we yeah. don't have rain, the acorns are teeny tiny yeah. and there's not enough anywhere. So yeah. even our food sources. Is that what you're seeing right now? I'm seeing that right now. That this is not the end of the drought. But, I mean, like, no, it's not. And I'm also seeing we've though. We've had like two normal years in the mm -hmm. last 10 or 12. Yeah, yeah. This is a really This is a bad one. Drought. And, but I did predict in two this winter and last winter that we'd have snow. Oh, yeah. And we had snow. There's a fishing game friend of mine, the uh, Mike Glenn. He said, you remember when we met and we talked, you talked to me about that story? And I go, yeah, I remember. Yeah, you, uh, so you've been right eight years in a row. <laughs> I said, great. I'm glad you're able to take it, keep a track because I'm not. <laughs> I just go, you're, I don't write any of this down. I just keep it, you know. Well, so. we should get you to do a column for the magazine with yeah. your, your yeah. climate predictions. predictions. I think that would yeah. be fun. Yeah. I mean, like I don't that. know how many other people do it, but when the winds come, you know, winds are... We used our ceremonial pipes to blow the wind away. You know, we get those Santa Ana winds that come in. And then we had the winds when the fires were here because it creates oh. its own weather. Oh, yeah. And I was literally blowing it out. And, yeah, it's got to be go somewhere else. I'm sorry, yeah. but, you know, the valley was the donut hole. Yeah, we were that so time. lucky. Yeah, my goodness. Really yeah, the heroic stand, it was my uh, friend uh, across from Bacalli's. I can't remember the name of that road now. But that, that was McAndrews? where... Not McAndrew. It's on the other side. On the other side. Of mm. Reeves Road. Oh, McNeil. No, not McNeil. Not this is right on your way up Denison Grade. So oh, it would be okay. to the west, like towards Black Mountain. But there's a oh, okay. there's a development back and there's sure. only like six or seven fancy homes. Okay. But yeah. the fire was coming over Denison Grade yep. right there. And they really had to Oh yeah. It was touch and go. Yeah. 
You know, we, we some of the roads we, we traveled on during that fire were really scary because these people had no way out. And that's what was really devastating and why they lost so much because they didn't, they couldn't, they just had to go. Yeah. We evacuated. I mean, we saw the flames coming from this north ridge over here and we, we, we had 12 animals that we evacuated with and five of us, <laughs> two cars. And uh, we went to Santa Barbara, and then we had to leave there because it was so smoky. Same here. It was yeah. scary getting out of Ojai because everybody was going out at the same time. And yeah. you could see the fire whipping on both sides of Rice yes. Road. Yes. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. you know, we all holed up in Santa Barbara or Montecito. And then like a week or two later. It's coming there. <laughs> yeah. It's, then we had to, mm-hmm. luckily, we could get back to Ojai then, even though it was charred. Yeah. Yeah. And then the uh, mudslide happened uh, yeah, January eighth. Yeah, really sad. but yeah, you saw on the backside of Matillaha, the middle fork of Matillaha. If so, you look at right. the ridge line from Montecito, it's just that thin razor mm-hmm. edge that separates mm-hmm. the two. So all that deluge that killed all those poor people and. Montecito, like 22 yeah. people, including yeah. one person, they never found the remains. Really yeah. tragic. Yeah. It wiped out that whole canyon. All mm-hmm. those beautiful swimming holes and those grottos with all the beautiful trout and those pond turtles yeah. and yeah. the ruddy ducks. It, it got all no, scoured it was, out. It was devastating for every every living Every being. living creature. Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, so, so we have me, to be careful. Yeah, we got to be careful. <laughs> So I'm curious, what was what do you estimate was like the native population of Ojai and uh, you, you know, know pre Spanish? But I'm horrible with numbers. I don't mind confessing that. Um, we I want I want people to visualize those that know the valley and know that this corridor of Ojai Valley runs east west. And earlier when I talked about the families crossing over from the islands to the south in Malibu to the north um, and west of, of Carpinteria. And as they came through the upper valley of Ojai from Malibu and those villages, there's that little corridor, Denison Grade, and there's villages in, like Denison. was a huge. We have yeah. some artifacts that the Denison family left at the Ojai Museum when they moved out. And then someone just recently brought a, a bowl back and gave it to the museum. Uh, they had taken bowl? it with them. No, a steatite soapstone oh, from Catalina wow. Island. Yeah, well, that <laughs> a was like one. a treasure, an heirloom treasure. Yeah, 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 they didn't think it belonged out there where they yeah. moved, so they brought it back. So you look at the, the Ojai Avenue, you see people coming down from the upper valley Settling into villages like around the region of the um, Soul Park in that whole area. So you have villages dotting, and, and some were seasonal, some were permanent. That was a major village there. They're going to Ventura. Some of them went over Sulphur Mountain from the Upper Valley down into uh, Casita Springs in that region, Oakview, yeah. Miramonte. And then you have people still continuing down Ojai Avenue, Libby Park. And going all the way down to um, Vaughn's, and then they head south. And there's villages all marked there. Then you have people coming from Denison to Thatcher. And so you have villages marking. Like Horn Canyon. Yeah, Horn Canyon. And then you have uh, Gridley Trail. You have all these little spots that people stopped and ate and lived and visited. And maybe there were Shrine Mountains lower that we don't know about. We know Topa Topa. We know Seesaw which is Cesar Peak and um, Nordoff Ridge. So you have people going purposely 
to Cozydale Trail, which leads out to the Ventura River. And they're yeah. going north to Cuyama. And then you have people just staying in Ojai, living five five to 9,000-year-old villages here in wow. central Ojai, going straight down to the Ventura River through Miner's Oaks. And then some of them went 150 to Santa Barbara. So, so was this like seasonal routes, migrational mm-hmm. routes? They were all, just... of our, all of our paths, all of our roads we're using were old, old trails. Uh, except for the 101. Yeah. Well, I wonder, like, were they following the, the food crops yes. and the, yeah. the steelhead runs? Mm-hmm. and uh, The water. <laughs> yeah, the water. You look where the water is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you look for the water. When, when Thomas hit through, you saw the landscape for the first time, with, with the, like up on the 33 right there by Bodie's, the rock formations yeah. that are there. Oh, they were incredible. But you can see the water coming from our mountains right here from Nordoff Ridge. From oh, yeah. Topa Topas, you could see those channels. And it all came through Ojai Central by Libby Park. That little creek, that little drainage, there's a barranca on Fox Street. Channels most of the water that comes through. In yeah. 1969, when we had the big flood, that thing was up to the top. Yeah. It was well, flowing they, hard. It's, I, it's fitting that it's called Drown Avenue. because it's, <laughs> Yeah, right. It's it, right there. And, yeah. <laughs> it's right in that path. Yeah. The water table's really high there, and it's really high in the Arbolada also. Yeah. You see that water coming through there. So, you know, again, that little creek that's in Libby Park was a river. Some of the old older people who I can't remember names right now said they used to swim and have boats. Oh, well, in uh, that little... Jack, Jack Jacobs. I don't know if you knew Jack. Yeah, a little bit. Or uh, yeah. Alan Jacobs. Alan, Alan Jacobs, Jacobs yeah. told me when he was a boy. That used to be the Boyd Center. Or but it's they moved the house uh, so where it's now yeah, they, is there Zodi. The Boyd Center yeah. is now like uh, Harvest and uh, mm-hmm. Moon, and then Leslie yeah. Clark Gallery was right, there. Right, right, yeah. But they yes. would see Steelhead. They mm-hmm. pool up in there because mm-hmm. there were no channels. It was just yeah. a, the yeah. their drainage coming down, yeah. and there was a big pool right there, and that's mm-hmm. where the fish would get up. I, I believe that, yeah, yeah. And this wasn't that long ago. This would have been like the 30s or yeah. 40s. And this hooks up to Creek Road, which was the other byway. <clears throat> that was going to be the the big main thoroughfare into Ojai was Creek Road. Yeah. But that was a path. That was a trail leading people out to Ventura. So they were moving around back and forth. Mm-hmm. What, you, what were some of the trade goods back then? I, I imagine Trade like, goods were our shell bead money that were yeah. manufactured on the islands, a little tiny flat hishi bead shell money, and they had, uh, they pine had nuts. A n- name for that. Um, the, the currency, uh, the shell yeah. currency. Uh, Achum, Achum, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, the word or the name Chumash, which is now shortened to Chumash, we had different names that we called people like Al-Ap Achai, the people from the House of the Moon, or Al-Ap Matilha, people from the House of Division. So and then there were other little slang names that we called certain people from areas. Yeah. So the word Chumash was shortened to Chumash, makers of shell bead money or coastal or island people. So we would trade with the people in Catalina for the soapstone. We would trade the island people for red meat, uh, certain plants out here, the pine nuts, the pinon pine from Cuyama. And then we traded with the back people in the Tabatalado, the Yokuts, and for and fish for, from the, uh... for obsidian. Oh yeah, they had the because we don't have obsidian here. That's yeah. a very sharp that for volcanic all your knives and mm-hmm. axes. We and... have chert, which is a, a beautiful stone, but like it doesn't flint. give you yeah, it's a flint, but it doesn't give you that razor sharp edge like obsidian edge, does. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So we traded quite a bit. I mean, the money, our shell bead money, uh, is literally all around the United States at that time. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, like Hudson Bay beads turn up here. Probably, like, uh, yeah. yeah uh, mostly we get those uh, glass beads from Europe. They're white, uh, what do they call them? White hearts, red hearts, forget. Mm. They're little glass red beads with a white center. Or there's some really pretty, um, like a greenish color. And mm. um, there are black beads, white. And where and, did they come from? Like the Russians? Or yeah, the, yeah. Uh, somehow, some north. of the trading up yeah, there. Yeah, the trading routes were incredible. When the people were working in the Presidio in Santa Barbara, the soldiers used to laugh at them because they wanted to be paid in those little red beads. Yeah. But for them, coming here into other regions, the native peoples who weren't in that mission system, they love, because the color red sacred. Yeah. You know, it's our blood, it's our heart, it's our spirits, fire. So they love those red beads, and they could do some good trading with those beads. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in, in the early, you know, times of the Indian Wars, the Native peoples out in those regions, when they would see those paper money in the soldiers' pockets, they didn't, didn't know what that was. Them, and yeah. they, but, but it looked to them like frog skins. So sometimes oh. you might hear that terminology of frog I skins. I have heard frog skins, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wondered where that came from. Yeah, they just threw them away. Well, there's, uh, there's no value to them. The trading, the Tabata Labels traded all the way down deep into the Aztec Empire because mm -hmm. the Quetzal feathers oh, was yeah. like their big trade item. Mm -hmm. They'd trade eagle feathers, golden eagle feathers, yeah. for Quetzal feathers. Mm -hmm. That was considered mm -hmm. the trade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. they would capture the eaglets at Kawaiasu Peak. They would hold each other by their ankles mm -hmm. to go down into the eagle oh, nest uh, and get the eaglets. <laughs> Yeah. While the mother eagles are attacking them, but then they would raise them, you know, as pets mm -hmm. till they were fully fledged, like a year or so. Mm -hmm. and they'd pluck a few feathers and then they let them go. Yeah. yeah and that was the good. cycle. And they would also take the belly feathers. Mm. The that downy. Some, the down. We yeah. would we would use downy feathers in there's a there's a cord ceremony, that as we wove the cordage from either milkweed or dogbane. We would lace and, and braid into it the downy feathers, and it was uh, and that cordage was used to solidify and hold prayer around oh. something or like there's a story about where centipede ends up in the upper world and coyote has been told to go up there and get him so he ties the feathered cord around the the base of the pole so that oh, all will be safe. So are you writing these stories down? <laughs> They're already written down. <laughs> really? You've got to give me a, send me a link. I'm going to put it up in the notes. Yeah, December's Child, Thomas Blackburn, who used to live uh, here in Ojai. Yeah. He's a professor emetris out at um, Cal Poly down yeah. south. Yeah, he's did you, did retired. Did you give him some stories? Did he collect some stories from you? No, no. These this are, these are stories time. that he wrote that book in, I think, 1976 yeah. or 74. Not too many people are aware of it. But um, he, John Johnson, myself, and a couple other people, and our friend Kohanya, uh, she lived in Montecito. She would call a Sagittarius party. <laughs> <laughs> so one year we all gathered together. It was really fun to get together. And, and Tom had given a, a talk one time at the Santa Barbara Museum of Natural History and, and told some of his favorite stories, which yeah. that, uh, collecting these the narratives. There's like about 111 narratives and then an explanation of just some of the um, ethnographic description of why these stories were told. They were 
what people refer to as fairy tale myth and lore. <laughs> yeah. And that what they are though is their teachings. And yeah, everybody, a, has, more, everybody has everybody has allegories or yeah. moral fables. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like the Nordic fables, yeah. Celtic Grim Brothers. And Grimm's, yeah. They're all they're all and, and we tell people, you know, for us it's like at a time when the animals were people. It's how you start children learning these stories and, and learning The Berenstain bears. Yeah. yeah. And and what happens in life. Yeah. And to heed these warnings at the time when the animals were people, so that as they grow up, you, you, you so people will say, oh, is that story true? Said so if you listen to it long enough, it becomes true. Yeah. And it isn't until you fall in love or you have a fight <laughs> or, you know, you're, you're tricked by somebody into doing something foolish that you get it. Yeah. You know, and all, oh, gosh, why didn't oh, I yeah. listen? <laughs> We're just not, yeah. So we all need to be, I mean, there's a beautiful, I wish I could memorize this. So we don't need any more politicians or, or, you know, presidents or anything like that. We need more storytellers. We need more healers. Yeah. We need more, you know, it's just a famous quote and I can't, I won't even try. I'm not doing it any justice at all here, but, um, you know, it's true. We need but to bring back our connect. stories. That's how, that's the architecture of our minds. It's that indigenous yeah. ways of teaching. Yeah. And well, we all I, need to step back to that I place. Remember, yeah, the stories that my dad would tell, you know, mm -hmm. when they're camping and stuff, they stick sure. with me, especially ghost stories. Yeah, a, a charman. <laughs> uh, yeah, always ghost stories. We had ghost stories of the Underground Railroad because we're oh, right wow. there by the Canadian border, and that was mm -hmm. like the place people would, you know, the free communities in Ontario right across the other side of the lake. Yeah. So, well, you know, our universes are made out of three worlds, and that's not unlike many other cultures that have nine or even more. Yeah. So it, early in the morning, you have to get in the waters before the Nunasas do, which are the underground creatures. Because if they get in the waters before you, they'll get it all hot and steamy, and you'll be lazy all day. <laughs> so you have to be careful about them. They'll, well, that they'll explains venture. a lot. That's me taking that through in the hot tub in the morning. <laughs> so we have all those stories about this interaction of our universes and traveling up to the upper world and lower worlds. Yeah. And how to behave here in this world. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just, you know, you've been generous with your time. I'm just curious, what, do you, what was the pandemic like for you? How did you... You know, um, because I do the um, cultural resource management, construction was essential. So I went from Woolsey, uh, from Thomas Fire, straight to a project in Carpinteria State Beach, and then Woolsey hit. We were there for like four or five months out there. And then I had another project, and then one started in the west end of Ventura near the um, that big yellow monstrosity, the art uh, for the end of Thompson. We were out in that area. So I never really had a break. I was still yeah. doing little jobs. Um, it was frightening. It was my husband, Bruce Densley, is the president of the Economic Development That's Collaborative. Right. Yeah, I get his emails every week. Updates I mean, on, they are so Because we thought busy. it was the end of the world. Yeah. I remember as a business person to know how yeah. I... Yeah. Yeah. We didn't know. I mean, geez, am I going to have to get They're a real still... job? <laughs> so they have been adding to their employment. Uh, everybody's handling multiple peoples in, in this in this time right now. It's devastating what has happened. He wrote an op-ed in the last business 
magazine the, that just came out about coastal business. Yeah, times. coastal business times. He just there's an article you should read. He points out several things that have data to support it, and where people having the money now they don't really want to go back to the jobs they had. There's not a lack of people. They want to people want to work, but you know again it's uh, it's it's now we've been shown the opportunity of how we can work differently yeah. and how to even change in, uh, in, a, in a career that you would have never thought of before. So for me, it was frightening having him go out before there was anything, you know, um, no vaccines yet. We didn't know what was going on. And we didn't know what was going on. We all just kind of came to that stop. My son, uh, my youngest, um, he's 23, he was 10 to 23. He, with autism, he was scared. He was so frightened. My yeah. my daughter, my middle, or my, I shouldn't say that. She's, they um, did not, they have diabetes type one. There was nothing in there saying that they were priority. So they were really mm-hmm. worried about that. And um, they came under, just not about so five years ago. So that's insulin dependent? Yes. Type and one is. Uh... But they were doing type two right away. Once the vaccine started coming out, but they were able to, we're all vaccinated now. And where I don't normally get flu shots, if I'm sick with the flu, I just go to bed. I I, I just don't do it. I was pretty, yeah. But with this one, because I want to get back into the schools, I want to get back to groups and do, we do Church of the Wild monthly, but I stopped doing that. Uh, That was a a gathering that Victoria Lotz had put together. She was a pastor at the Ojai Community Church, but people said, she kept saying, I want to be outdoors. I want yeah. the logos I to be nature. I love the Church of the Wild. Yes. It sounds like so I'm I took over. person, that would be my <laughs> kind of church. But uh, she left, but before she left, she called me and said, do you want to do this? Do you want to take this over? So I said, yes. So uh, since the pandemic, though, I just decided, no, let's just be safe. We'll get back out there. Nature has been people's salvation. And in some cases, I tell you, it's been so disrespectful, though, what people have left behind. Goodness gracious, don't even get me started. I'm I'm, working with the Land Conservancy, and those first few months of pandemic, the people, the way they treated the preserve and the swimming hole and the I was telling them, close it down, just close it. We did. Yeah, you did. And then we had to... had to hire security. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're not set up for that. We no, want people no. to be on the land. We just don't want them breaking beer bottles and having, and having barbecues. pit bulls getting <laughs> fights out there mm-hmm. and yeah. dirty diapers. And I know, I know. There's. I don't know how all that changed with people. I how think people have removed people themselves that, so far away from... That's what it feels like. People just are so, so in, disconnected. And I'm hoping that in the pandemic time, there was some reflection and you I hope know, so too. isolation. I hope so, too. I feel the energy level mm-hmm. starting to come back. You see how Ojai is packed on the weekends and even during the weekday. People, mm-hmm. I was just over at the art center seeing a friend show and there mm-hmm. are people from L.A. just wandering in off the street. And they just like, what is this magical place? It's so <laughs> amazing. And when yeah. you see when you see that your hometown reflected in people's eyes like that, it's like. It's, uh, it's it is warm. Here. It's heartwarming. It yeah. is. Just think out loud. Julie's story of the Chumash people and the way their land was taken from them by first the Spanish, then the Anglos, reminds me of a story, probably apocryphal, told by Buzz Aldrin about his early days on the Apollo program. The 
story goes that he and a few other astronauts were doing top secret tests in northern New Mexico. One day they went into a trading post where a Navajo trader was asking them about what they were doing. Aldrin said, we're going to the moon. The trader said, oh, you're going to meet the moon people. Can you take them a message from me? Aldrin said, sure, what is it? The trader told them a few words in Navajo and asked them to repeat it several times until they got it exactly right. Once back at the base, the astronauts went to one of the employees, who was one of those famous Navajo code talkers during World War II who helped encode secret messages to fool the Japanese. They repeated what the trader had told them. The code talker laughed. Well, what is it, Aldrin asked. He said to tell the moon people, don't believe a word they say. They're here to steal your land. Well, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.